And welcome to New Life Sunday service. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. Uh, welcome. New Life is a community that exists for the glory of God and the gospel of grace. You'll find that on our website. You'll find that um, every week when you come to service online. And one day again, when you come in person, you'll hear that once again. Uh, you may have heard that word gospel before. Uh, what it means is the good news that God has saved us, and it's only through his grace that we are saved, and that's why we talk about the gospel of grace here at New Life. My name is Young, lead pastor here at New Life, and if you're new to New Life, welcome to the live stream. Uh, we would love to connect with you, uh, particularly if you are new, so please do stick around, uh, fill out the newcomer's form, which will be available at the end of the service via the QR code that you'll see on screen. So do stick around until the very, very end of service uh, with us. Now for our time of fellowship, as we've been doing over the past few weeks during lockdown, let's share in the YouTube live chat. Um, this week, we would love to get to know you a little bit better. So uh, what is one thing that people might not know about you? Okay, so if you could type in the live chat one thing that people might not know about you. Well, hopefully you've had a few moments to type in the live chat something that people don't know about you or might not know about you. Um, I'd love to go back and read over them a little bit later in the week. So hopefully you've had some time for that. Now we're going to go into a time of scripture reading before the preaching of the word. So I'll pass it over to David, who's going to be doing the scripture reading for us this morning.
Well, thank you, David, for the reading of the word of God this morning. Uh, if you've never read through the Bible before or if you're unfamiliar with that first chapter of Genesis, uh, then this will be actually a great first step for you um, as you've now heard it read. Uh, perhaps it could be a good way to begin to read the rest of the Bible. Um, it's always a favorite way to start uh, with reading the Bible, just from the first chapter. Um, how about I pray for us before we get into the word of God this morning? Father, as we continue through our time of lockdown and as we continue through uh, the rest of our lives, uh, Lord, we just confess that quite often uh, we don't give a lot of thought to who you are and indeed we sometimes don't give a lot of thought to who we are as well, God. And both of these answers are found in you. So we turn to you this morning, God, wanting to know you more wanting to know about you more and wanting to be changed by you. You're the one who knows us, and so we seek you, God, and we ask, Lord, that you would teach us this morning. Would you illuminate the word of God to our hearts this morning? Change us by the preaching of the word. Speak through me and help us, Lord, to listen to your word in a fresh way, God. Open up our ears that we might hear you. Open up our hearts that we might receive the word that you have for us this morning. Guide us by your Holy Spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You know, last week we looked at the question, where are you, God? Or where is Jesus now? Now that the crucifixion, the resurrection, the ascension are over, where is Jesus now? And I talked about a few of the big questions that come up throughout our lifetimes, and that was one of them. Where are you, God? And another big question we might ask in our lifetimes is, who am I? Who am I? Do you ever think about this? Who am I? How would you answer this question? If someone asked you who you are, how would you go about answering this question? Now, you may find throughout your lifetime that no answer truly encapsulates everything that you are, everything that you believe about yourself, as so many of our answers change over time. You know, it might come at one point in defining yourself by your profession, by the work that you do, the study that you do. You might define yourself by your hobbies. A lot of people define themselves by their hobbies, by what they enjoy. You might even define yourself at some points in your life by what you love or who you love at that time. Like if you ever read people's bios, Online, sometimes they say, you know, husband of so-and-so, father of so-and-so, whatever it might be. But all of these things, unfortunately, can change over time. All of these things change. But you can have a permanent answer to this question, who am I, by knowing who is God. You can know who you are by knowing the I am. Now, obviously, we talk about God quite naturally. We're at church. We will talk about God quite naturally. But it can be a little bit difficult to actually know whether or not we're talking about the same thing sometimes. Even when we talk about God, it can be sometimes a little bit difficult to know, are we really on the same page here? 
We may communicate past one another. So oftentimes, we have to unlearn what we think about God because of the many things that we picked up just through osmosis and popular culture. Okay, I've talked about this a few times in the past. Discipleship happens whether you like it or not. You are constantly being discipled by everything that you feed yourself with, whether it's the Netflix shows that you watch, whether it's the people that you hang out with, whatever it is that you immerse yourself in, you are being discipled by. We might even get taught by the people around us, telling us what they think about God, and even purely through our own assumptions and imaginations. So as a child, I had an imagined picture of God in my head. Okay? Try right now with me to picture God in your head and think about what it is that you see. So I remember seeing depictions of God in cartoons, TV shows, comic books. And I'm talking about the Father God here. I'm not talking about the painting of Jesus that many people have in their minds and in their, uh, in their homes. Oftentimes, the Father God, he was characterized in these places as an old man. Flowing white hair, flowing white beard, dressed in a flowing white robe, standing on a cloud in the sky somewhere. And somewhere along the way, this image of God took hold of my imagination, took hold of my mind, and I constantly pictured God in this way. In the time before I truly knew God, and even after I became a Christian, I had trouble picturing him in different terms, in a different way. Now this way of picturing God, and many others like it, you know, whatever it is that you get in your head when you think about God, it can become problematic because it influences the way we think that God acts. Thinking of him far off on a cloud, shouting unheard instructions to us. Think about what that does to us. It removes him from our immediacy. It makes him seem distant and even ineffective. Picturing an old man superimposes whatever thoughts or feelings that we might have towards an older person over the top of God. So the Bible tells us variously in John chapter 1, 18 and 1 John 4, 12 that no one has ever seen God. Yet we love to speculate and imagine him in certain ways, convinced that our picture of God in our heads is correct. We love to have our imaginations tickled by these pictures. So I'm reminded of a particular movie where the protagonist, he's in the midst of grieving his wife who had passed away. He's created an image of her in his mind that he's haunted by. He's constantly interacting with this image of his wife, but he's finally able to break away from this by telling his image, I can't imagine you with all your complexity, all your perfection, all your imperfection. Look at you. You're just a shade of my real wife. You're the best I can do. 
but I'm sorry, you're just not good enough. And while our God has no imperfections, similarly, we might formulate ideas and pictures of him in our minds, yet these do no justice to his vast, infinite beauty, his goodness, and his perfection. Apart from the self-revealing of God through the Bible, we cannot truly know him. Deuteronomy 4 says this, diligently watch yourselves because you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you out of the fire at Horeb, so you don't act corruptly and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of any figure, a male or female form, or the form of any animal on the earth, any winged creature that flies in the sky, any creature that crawls on the ground, or any fish in the waters under the earth. So we're told in the Bible to not make these images. Don't make idols for yourselves. It's explained even further in Exodus. Do not make an idol for yourself, whether in the shape of anything in the heavens above or on the earth below or in the waters under the earth. Do not bow and worship to them and do not serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, bringing the consequences of the father's iniquity on the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, by showing faithful love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commands. So these idols and images that we create are incapable of truly representing God. And indeed, they end up offensive to him. Imagine the caricatures that people draw up in amusement parks. They highlight some of their most distinct figures, but they don't truly represent the person that's sitting in front of them. These images, they're lifeless, unresponsive, and they're absent of all that makes God, God. Now, worshiping idols, when we read about it here in scripture, for us today, it might not seem as over as physically doing something like bowing or lighting incense as in this picture. And yet quite often in the West, our worship consists of the way that we orient our lives. So we make the goal of our lives to get enough blank, fill in the blank for yourself. We make the goal of our life to get enough of money, love, power, comfort, whatever it is, and then we think, then I'll be truly happy. So we think about this, we talk about this, we live it, is it any wonder that our children will grow up imitating us, following in our footsteps, and doing these things. If you have a love of money, if you live for money, if you work for money, your children will be discipled in that way. We're not to make images, and yet we still long to try and figure out the face of the God who loves us. Now, can I reassure you, it's okay to long to look upon his face, 
it's quite natural. If you find out that you have a secret admirer, you'll want to know who this person is. It's the same thing with God as well. As this time of lockdown extends, it provides us with a whole lot of time to spend with God. Outside of lockdown, often the excuses that we make for ourselves in order to believe that we can't spend time with him is how busy we are. And yet the grace of God is found in providing us with this time and stripping back a lot of the social idols that we've created for ourselves, that we can spend time with him in his word and spend time speaking with him in prayer. In the midst of all this, we may desire to cast our eyes upon him. And we might wonder, how can we see him? Well, from our reading this morning, we're told there are already images of God here on this earth that we can see. God has created these images of himself on this earth. You, me, the human beings that we see all around us. Before I go any further, I have to preface everything that I'm about to say by first stating, yes, it's very easy to go into idol worship of human beings as well. People enter into these things now. And this is not what I'm suggesting through the sermon to you today. Let that be known to you. I'm not suggesting that we worship one another as gods. Idolatry of any kind will destroy us. But when we talk about images, to talk about images is to see that there's no need to represent God in another way in this world because his image is already here. Now in ancient Bible times, it was believed that kings represented gods. So royalty, emperors, pharaohs, all these royalty were often considered as sons, sons of God, adopted by the gods to serve as representatives between them and humanity. So whatever nation, whatever territory, whatever tribe that you were from, these local deities, these local gods were represented by these kings, by these emperors, and they were called the image of God. But our passage this morning from Genesis 1 tells us, no, it's not one particular person or a class of people that are representatives or royalty in God's eyes. It's all people. Not just kings, but all people. What's striking is, if you follow the line of thought from the opening words of the Bible, where God's creation happens through his powerful word, you can see his absolute sovereignty, his ability in making it happen. And yet he decides graciously to declare that humanity shall be made in his image and that we shall rule over the rest of creation. That's why the psalmist can say in Psalm 8, 
just how glorious this is, how astonishing. This is the value of human life to God. So when we look to see the image of God, how do we look upon the image that he created himself? Writer Victor Hugo, in his famous novel, Les Miserables, writes, to love another person is to see the face of God. Perhaps this echoes the longing for forgiveness and love that we see elsewhere in Genesis, in Genesis 33, when Jacob says to his brother Esau, I've seen your face and it is like seeing God's face since you have accepted me. Humanity, with all of the grace and love that we can express and with all of our countless shortcomings, we are God's representatives. All of the good that we embody points to God because we can't perfectly manifest these attributes and these characteristics, and yet they are reflections of God's perfection. We have images of this here in our universe as well. You might think about it as the moon reflecting the light from the sun. The moon creates no light of its own and it reflects the sun's light. It doesn't produce any light of its own, but it only reflects the light of the sun. So we, in the same way, reflect God's love, God's light upon the world. And where we fall short, should not be hidden away either, but confessed and repented of, for this also points to God. He alone is perfect and sinless, and his perfect forgiveness and his grace come in these times. Our sin evokes his compassion and welcoming embrace, as we've talked about in previous weeks. So a couple of verses from Genesis chapter one that we've had read to us this morning. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. With all that God creates, and this is the high point of chapter one, humanity is the crown of his work in the beginning, in the creation account. Look at the way the creative work builds up over the course of Genesis one, peaking with humanity as a final act. And of all of the work that takes place in creation, humanity is the only one that takes place after deliberation. As God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. There's personal care taken with humanity's creation. And humanity alone is created in the image of God and given rule over the rest of creation. And so all human beings bear the image of our great God. And we experience something incredible as we extend our love and grace towards them. 
Now, if you've read much of the first few chapters of the Bible, you know that this peaceful, idyllic life in the garden isn't around too long. The fall happens. We've looked at this during our Easter series. And because of this, we can't really look at the creation of humanity in Genesis 1, 26 to 27 without viewing it through the lens of sin. We know the way that sin enters the story in the garden and the consequences that are born from it. Human life is torn apart. Humanity's relationship with creation is broken. We in the modern day, we're currently living through these consequences with enmity between all of humanity, with the futility of work that only seems to bring forth toil and the earth and the environment are falling apart due to it. So it's impossible to accurately read and interpret and understand the creation of humanity without this prism of sin because it gives us a foundation for understanding redemption. All of humanity is appointed as God's royal representatives, as sons of God, to rule the earth in his place, to represent him. And yet, sin mars this image, marking us as not only disobedient children, but as orphans. And we willingly give in to the sin that's crouching at the door to our hearts, allowing it to pounce upon us and devour us. It's important to note here, we don't lose the image of God because of our sin, because of this. But the glory of our sonship in God, our image, fades away. But the complete and universal sinfulness of mankind is no match for the total redemption that is found in our Lord Jesus Christ, the only way, the truth, and the life. By the grace of God, humanity is created anew in the image of Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us this, and just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we will also bear the image of the man of heaven. And in his image, we're looked upon by our Father God in Christ's perfect obedience. Thus, in believing in Christ, we receive new life in him, and the glory of the image of God is restored in us, his children. So in this way, we can read and understand our passage here in Genesis. We are created beings, created by God above, and yet we're above all creatures as the image of God. Can we then see ourselves and our fellow brothers and sisters as image bearers, his sons and his daughters and his representatives? So what's the sense that you get when you look upon the face of a fellow human being? Is it the same sense of wonder and love that Jesus has as he looks upon us? He has the utmost love for you. 
to the point that he died for you and resurrected for you, that you might be restored to right relationship with this unfathomable God that we long to know. Famous Christian writer uh, C.S. Lewis in a sermon from The Weight of Glory expresses it in this way. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Our great Redeemer has taken on humanity's form and intercedes on our behalf. The creator of the image has taken on the image and he bears it perfectly. Can we now bear his image as well? Be conformed to his image and love our fellow image bearers. So during this time of lockdown, I encourage you, start with the one that you see in the mirror every day. The most loving thing that you can do for yourself is to know God. Spend time with him in his word through which he reveals himself to you and spend time speaking with him in prayer, communing with him in constant conversation. Let him know your innermost thoughts that you've never said aloud to anyone before and cast all of your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. From that point, you'll be able to allow all other relationships in your life to be defined by this relationship that you have with God. So I encourage you to start with that. And why don't I start that off for us with some prayer. Father, as we look upon your word this morning, as we read about the image of God that you've created in us. We look to the one whose image we are based upon, whose likeness we're created in. We look to you, Lord, knowing, Lord, the love that you have for us. You're perfect in the way that you love us. You're perfect in your grace, your mercies, which are new every morning. And so we turn to you and we ask, Lord, during this time of lockdown, 
that you would draw us near to you, that you would help us, Lord, to look upon ourselves the same way that you look upon us. And we can only do this by knowing you. We long to know you. We ask, Lord, that you would remove the desire for these distractions from our hearts. I know how painful it is, Lord, for us to give up these distractions, these things that very well may be good things that you've given to us. But how much greater are you, Lord, if only we would ask, you would do these things for us. And so I ask on behalf of new life, that you would remove the love for these distractions from all of our hearts, from all of the hearts of those that say amen to this prayer, that would agree to seek after you. Help us, Lord, to love you, first and foremost and above all and through all, that we might glorify you in the love that we carry in our lives and help that to be the defining factor as we go about the rest of our lives, extending your love upon your people. Be with us, Lord. Change us by your Holy Spirit. Give us new life in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.